Psalm 129. They have greatly oppressed me from my youth, let Israel say. They have greatly oppressed me from my youth, but they have not gained the victory over me. Plowmen have plowed my back and made their furrows long. But the Lord is righteous. He has cut me free from the cords of the wicked. May all who hate Zion be turned back in shame. May they be like grass on the roof, which withers before it can grow. A reaper cannot fill his hands with it, nor one who gathers fill his arms. May those who pass by not say to them, the blessing of the Lord be with you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. So today we're going to look at Psalm 129, a song to lead us through oppression. And in a moment, I'm going to read the psalm. But while I'm doing that, I want you to consider, what if this was a song that we were singing on a Sunday morning? What if we just sang this song and that led us into this sermon? So here it is in the message. They've kicked me around ever since I was young. This is how Israel tells it. They've kicked me around ever since I was young, but they could not keep me down. Their plowmen plowed long furrows up and down my back. Then God ripped the harness of the evil plowman to shreds. Oh, let all those who hate Zion grovel in humiliation. Let them be like grass in the shallow field that withers before the harvest, before the farmhands can gather it in. The harvesters get in the crop before the neighbors have a chance to call out, congratulations on your wonderful harvest. We bless you in, the name, in God's name. That would be a weird worship song, right? Can, can you imagine Hillsong writing something like that or Bethel? I can't think of a song or a hymn that sounds like that. But people sung this going into Jerusalem? It, it kind of reminds me more of like a Chumbawamba song where I get knocked down, but I get up again. You're never going to keep me down. It's this idea of this person being repeatedly oppressed and, and never getting a win. Really? That's a worship song? You're going to sing going into Jerusalem, going into the presence of God. I don't know. It kind of sounds more like a complaint. So here's a plug though for good Bible reading practices that if you ask God to illuminate his truth before you go and read the Bible, then he's going to do exactly that. And he's going to help you see his truth in the words, even if it might seem kind of weird. So that's what I did. And that's how you got this sermon today. So it really started to come alive when I prayed that. And I, I promise you, if I didn't do that, this message would be very short and confusing. So the first few verses here, you, you see this repeated, they have, they have, and, and you'll see it again later in the psalm. It's just they, 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 they. And it's kind of this, this generic, it, it's not a specific persecutor. If you look at Israel's history, or you could even look at, at the whole church's history, and, and you'll see that like, they just kind of leaves it open to various scenarios, to various persecutors. And I think that at, like, if, if you define they as anyone or anything that is oppressing you, and, and to look at the psalm, 
as a whole for a moment, I think one of the key takeaways here is that you can't let your past define you. You need to be defined as God's child, whom he called and whom he loves and that he died for you. And not some mushy, like, I would die for you, like some line from a romance movie. But, like, God literally died for you, came down from heaven, died on a cross, and it was brutal. But he did this for you. And, like, we need to be defined by that. We need to be defined by Christ's death and Christ's resurrection, not by our circumstances or our oppression. I remember when I was a kid, I always hated, like, my, I had asthma. I guess I still have asthma. And, and my mom would go around and she would, I, I don't know, I would hear her talking about it anyways to these other parents. And it would drive me nuts. Because I didn't want to be Nathan, that kid with asthma. Because, like, people would look at me different or something or treat me different. I, I wanted to be, or, or like, I, wa- I want to be known as Nathan, the guy who God loves. Or Nathan, the guy who, who Jesus died for. So you should write this down. I'm defined by Christ, not my past, not my circumstances, not anything. I'm defined by Christ. So something to keep in the, in the back of your mind, especially when reading the Psalms and similar books, is repetition. It's really important. So when, when you see at the beginning, they, they repeat, they have greatly oppressed me from my youth. They have greatly oppressed me from my youth. This is a pay attention moment. So, so the psalmist is emphasizing a point. And he's saying, but what, what I like is that then, then we get to verse 2, or the end of verse 2, but they have not gained the victory over me. So this was really bad persecution. This was awful. But they have not gained the victory over me. Can we just sit here for a moment? And I'd like to say something cheesy, like there's always hope. And I believe that that's true, but when things are bad, that's not what I want to hear. You telling me that tomorrow's going to be better doesn't make today any better. Like knowing it's better later doesn't make me feel good now. So we, we need to have our hope set in Christ, not some vague sense of a better tomorrow. Because in Christ, I know tomorrow's going to be better. It's not, it's not a maybe, it's not an if, it's a I know. So usually my outlook when I'm oppressed, and as a white Canadian male, my oppression is probably pretty weak compared to just about everyone else. So let's not compare scars because yours are worse than mine. But nonetheless, when things are bad, my first thought is never, but I haven't lost yet. They don't have the victory yet. Usually I'm wallowing in self-pity and I'm moping instead of remembering that I have hope in Jesus and that I haven't lost. And I think that what's going to help is if you memorize verses like this and you let that soak into your heart so that when you're down, you know that God's going to come and pick you up. But the, the, the psalmist here has some real oppression. This is serious. If we look at verse 3, the plowmen have plowed my back and made their furrows long. That's pretty graphic. I want you to just kind of picture that for a minute. Like, it kind of reminds me of, of like, the passion of the Christ when Jesus is getting the 49 lashes. 
that's probably something similar to what this guy looked like after. Like, it's messy and bloody, and honestly, like, it was probably kind of hard to watch. And is this how you feel sometimes? Like, you've been run over by a tractor and rolled into the earth, and I'm pretty sure long furrows implies that they're plowing deep. So this is where the psalm crescendos for me. The psalmist makes a turn. There's this shift from from defeat to victory. In verse four, he says, but the Lord is righteous. He has cut me free from the cords of the wicked. So in the Bible, there's some big buts. This is one of those, but the Lord is righteous. He has cut me free from the cords of the wicked. The first three verses are kind of a reflection on the past. He's looking back and and remembering these things. And Israel can look back at their history and they were constantly oppressed, like Egypt and the wilderness and Babylon and and on and on and on. But the psalmist doesn't want to stay in that oppression. This isn't a psalm for us to relate to and be like, oh yeah, your life sucked, me too. But this this is for like that there's hope in God that that God will will cut the cords, or as Eugene Peterson wrote it in the message, God ripped the harness of the evil plowman to shreds. Meaning it's useless, it's destroyed. It's like a couple weeks ago when Dan was talking about the fowler snare and how God wrecked that, that you can't use this plow anymore. It's been ripped to shreds. So don't, don't wallow in the past, but we need to remember how God showed up. That even when where things were bad, remember that he is faithful and he's going to come again. This reminds me of a time when, when Hannah was just a baby. She was probably a week or so old. And we, we went up to visit her parents. And Kate went to go sit down on the couch. And so they had this small dog. He was a miniature schnauzer. And you know how little dogs are and they're yappy. And so Kate's sitting on the couch. And because this is a small dog, he can't, you know, just put her head in or the dog can't just put his head in Kate's lap and kind of see what's going on. So he thinks, oh, I'm going to jump up on the couch and I'm going to check out this baby. But to Kate, this is, I don't know what this dog is going to do. And he has claws and teeth and who knows what's going to happen. So the dog jumps up and I think like midair, Kate just like smacks him to the ground. And no one would think like most of you probably know Kate and she's very gentle and she's calm. And this is not what you would expect, but in, in protecting her baby, she said, you can't come up here. And just, just chops him out of the way. And that, that's the image I get of God here. That God's loving. God loves everyone. But if you're working against a loving God, he's going to protect his baby. So Psalm 18 paints a great picture of this. Here it is. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. The earth trembled and quaked, and the foundations of the mountains shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils, consuming fire from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. That's heavy. And like, but this, this is a picture of a loving God going to defend his child. This is God and Mama Bear. Right? And so, Leslie Allen says, says it like this, quoting Zechariah 2.8, whoever touches you touches the apple of his eye. 
So Leslie Allen says, the attitude of others to God's people determines his attitude to them. So it's like God goes, goes in Hulk mode. And to, to the normal citizens, the Hulk is a superhero. He's saving them from everyone. But to the villains, the Hulk is terrifying and he's going to smash them. So, so this is just God responding to protect his kids. And from my perspective, this is loving. And from the other side, God is terrifying. Much like how, like I was saying, the Hulk is a superhero, but to others he is terrifying. Like how Kate is protecting Hannah, but Mr. Lee probably thought that he was being abused. But this is just, again, this is, this is the same love seen from two different sides. There, there isn't some special switch that turns off God's love and turns on his wrath. It's just two, two sides of the same love. So keeping that in mind, let's get back to our psalm. But the Lord is righteous. He has cut me free from the cords of the wicked. So I can track with this. This is kind of what we've been, we've been talking about. God's cutting me free. God came to my rescue. I mean, we have songs about this idea, right? Where I struggle, or, or where this seems to, it's a little confusing, right? That why is the Lord's righteousness result in my freedom? It, it would make sense that if the Lord is righteous, so I was condemned. That makes sense. Or, or, because I'm righteous, I was set free. But that's not what it says. It says, but the Lord is righteous. He has cut me free from the cords of the wicked. Well, this is the gospel message, is it not? Hundreds of years before the gospel was written, before Jesus came on the scene, the psalmist wrote this. A, a gracious God trading his righteousness for unworthy sinners. So the psalmist lived in a place where this was possible, where God's righteousness could set him free, just like Jesus sets us free now. So if you were in Christ, you were set free from the wicked. But sometimes I think we take this, this idea to the extreme, and we think that once I'm set free, that my sins will just melt away on their own, I'll never be tempted again to do anything wrong. And if you've been a Christian for more than five minutes, you know that's not how it works. So on Friday, the, the youth, we got together at Southgate. We socially distanced. We wore masks. We washed our hands like 50 times. And, and we went and we watched the Change Conference online. Normally, we would have gone to Toronto, spent the weekend there, uh, and wa watched the Change Conference. But that just wasn't possible during the pandemic. So we watched, they, they did a live stream at Southgate. So we got to tune into that. So last year, they packed the church out in Toronto with 3,500 teenagers. That was like full capacity. I think they actually turned some people away. But this year, because they went online, there's no cap. There's no limit. They can just go. And so they spread this thing all across Canada, which is the first time that's ever happened. And... 8,000 teens tuned in on Friday, which is amazing. That's more than double what they could have held 
in that church. It never would have been possible. And, and teens tuned in from all over Canada. But the verse from that, from, from Friday, was John 16, 33. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So everything's not fine. You will have trouble. Life's not perfect. I've basically been a Christian my whole life, even though I didn't always act like it. And sometimes it's really hard, like during a global pandemic, for example. But I know that if I cry out, like in Psalm 120, defend me, Lord, that he's going to rush in like a ninja and chop a few dogs. And remember that God's huge. So even a Great Dane on steroids is still a small dog to how big our God is. So here's another key takeaway that you're going to want to write down. I think that there is power in being vulnerable with God when you're praying. Even though it might seem redundant, because he knows everything and he sees everything, but he wants to hear it from your lips. That, that if you're having a hard time, don't be afraid to tell your big God about your small problems. Or don't be afraid to tell your big problems to your big God. So I think maybe Peter can help us out. So in 1 Peter 4.12, he says, Dear friends, I always feel good when I'm a friend of Peter. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Peter was expecting a fiery ordeal, which I kind of think that's a nice way to explain 2020 so far. I'm going to reflect back and say, remember that fiery ordeal in 2020? And you're all going to know what I'm talking about. Like, don't be surprised when things catch on fire. But take heart, you haven't lost yet, for Jesus has overcome. They don't have the victory. Our response should be, not surprised, but like Peter says in verse 13, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. So I want you to just take that glory is revealed thing and tuck it in your pocket for a minute, and we'll, we'll get to that. But I want to move on to Isaiah 51, which says, this is what your sovereign Lord says. Your God, who defends his people, see, I have taken out of your hand the cup that made you stagger. From that cup, the goblet of my wrath, you will never drink again. I will put it into the hands of your tormentors who said to you, fall prostrate that we, that we may walk on you. And you made your back like the ground, like a street to be walked on. So this, I mean... I think you probably heard it. This kind of sounds like our psalm, right? Plowed over, walked on. Both sound like they suck. But, but just like we read in Isaiah, God, God turns it around. And, and he turns the tables on those that are oppressing you. And so this is starting to happen in our psalm. In verse 4 of our psalm, we, we see the, that it's, it's flipping. So then going into verse 5, may all who hate Zion be turned back in shame. So I think one of two things is happening here for the, for the remaining verses. Either the psalmist is reciting what he's seeing happening, or he's praying a curse on his oppressors. 
or praying against what they're doing. And maybe it's a bit of both. It's okay to read the Bible with humility and not know everything that's happening. So in verse 5, we really see the tables turn. So Zion, if you're not aware, is, is representing all of God's people. So this is you, me, Israel, everybody. And the, so, so what's happening is all the haters are going to be turned back in shame. And the persecution that I've received, which is pretty minimal, um, is like uh, I get the odd shaming for my religious beliefs. Like God is this crutch and Christianity is for dumb people. And so, so this seems kind of fair that, that if you're going to shame me for what I believe, God's going to turn around and the shame is going to end up on you. And then we get to this. May they be like grass on the roof, which withers before it can grow. A reaper cannot fill his hands with it, nor one who gathers fill his arms. Meaning, there's not much to get. This is talking about a lack of production. Crops that don't grow. So there's nothing to harvest. Which ties back to when God broke the cords of the plow. If the plow doesn't work, then you're not going to have much in your field. It's hard to plant when your machines don't work. And, and looking back at, at plow three, that if they're plowing on the, the psalmist's back, well, what does the plowman do? He gets the field ready to plant. So the psalmist is painting a picture. So what he's really saying is that the, the, the plans of the plowman, the plans of those who hate Zion would come to nothing. That nothing would grow from them. Nothing would happen. And then verse 8. May those who pass by not say to them, the blessing of the Lord be on you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. So this is actually like a customary um, greeting that, that you would say. If we, if we turn over to Ruth chapter 2. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. They answered. So it was kind of a call and response. I say this, you say this. And this was just like a normal thing, which I guess we've replaced with, hey man. And that's all we say now. So, so the idea here is that at harvest time, when you don't bring in any, anything, well, nobody's going to say this to you. What's interesting is that if you remember back at the beginning, the psalm starts, I'm oppressed, I'm oppressed. And then again, we have that repetition of that, that you would be blessed and you would be blessed. It, it's the repetition. The idea being that if you thought that you were going to get ahead by attacking God, that, that you're not going to get this blessing. You thought that you'd get ahead, but instead you're going to end up behind. So I find it's always helpful when Jesus has said something on a topic. And we are so lucky that in our case, he did. So Matthew 5, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
Well, that makes me feel a little better when things are tough. And although, although the words sound like oppression, persecution, or things like that, I think the formula for relief is the same. For any, any bad day scenario, it's going to be the same. We need to cry out to God and ask for him to defend us. And like the psalmist, I don't need to sugarcoat my prayers to God. And I know that he's going to show up. And if you're like me, you get more oppression from Satan than any human. So consider that in your scenarios. I remember when I was a kid, uh, mostly because I do this with my kids now, that, for example, on the first day back to school or a trip to the dentist, we, we would get a treat. So on the first day of back to school this year, because I knew it was going to be tough with masks and half your friends aren't in class and, and those things, we said, well, I'm going to go straight to Tim Hortons with my kids after class. And so we went there and I bought them all donuts. And so whatever bad thing happened at school, their day ended with a donut. So it's going to be okay. And I think Jesus is saying something kind of like that here. That, oh, you got bullied for my namesake? I'm going to save you a donut in heaven. But it's better than a donut because it's heaven. So it's like your favorite donut times a million for all eternity. Which, which brings, I told you to put this in your pocket. So this brings us back here. To the glory revealed. His glory revealed. Not just any glory. Jesus' glory. And... So, 1 Peter, he, he's saying that heaven's going to be unimaginably great. Plus, we'll get rewards for every time we suffered in Jesus' name. So, when his glory is revealed, okay, when I get to heaven, or when he comes back, then everything is going to be known, and I'm going to get rewarded for every time that I suffered for his namesake. It's a pretty sweet deal. So, continuing on in Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, if you're a keener, you might have noticed slight conflict. Where in Psalm 129, it's telling you uh, that to, to not bless your adversary. But then here, it says, J Jesus is telling me to pray for them. Well, which is it? Am I to not bless them or am I to pray for them? And I, I think that the what, what Jesus is saying is that I need to pray that they realize what they're missing. And what the psalmist is saying is don't bless people who are working against God or don't bless their work because it's against God. Does that make sense? And, and I can honestly say that there have been times where I've prayed for my enemies and it feels good for my soul. I really think you should do this. And I'm as much screwed up as any other human. So I think the only difference is that I know Jesus. So I think that if, if I can pray for you and you can get salvation or, or those persecuting me, I mean, that, 
that they're going to be better. So, I, I also pray, though, like the psalmist, that their plans against me would come to nothing. But I think that you can't just stay in that state, the, the verses 5 to 8. It needs to be cyclical. So don't let your enemies hold you down. Whether you're oppressed by COVID or Satan or whatever, you need to focus on the hope that we have in Christ that he's going to turn the tables and he's going to come and defend us. One commentary I read calls Psalm 129 a psalm of confidence. We called it a psalm to lead you through oppression. And I think that between the two is the key. That my confidence in God is how I get through oppression. I know that God got me through the last thing. And he will be faithful to get me through this thing. And he's going to get me through the next thing and the next thing. And I have confidence because I know that Jesus died for my sins. And that he died for your sins. And if you haven't been a Christian long enough to have that same confidence, you can borrow mine. So when the next thing comes up, I need to start at verse 1. Remembering, I've been oppressed before, but I've never been defeated. And, and last time, God came and he broke their cords. So I hope that my enemies get put to shame and that their plans come to nothing and, and that they would realize on the blessings that they're missing out. And so just let that hope sink in. Remind yourself that Christ is the victor and he's coming to defend you. So I'm going to read this as we close. God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our, in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of his God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Thank you.